You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. I was walking through the halls of a Minnesota rink when along came a wild fan who started talking smack to me. He said, I bet you never liked the blues until they won a cup. And so I calmly turned to him and said, hey man, listen up. I admit it's pretty great to win Lord Stanley's prize, but listen. I've been waiting for this moment my whole life. Yes, sir, I'm a blues fan. Yes, sir, I'm a blues fan. Heartbreak's all I knew, man. That team from old St. Lou, man. Got a cup in here, 52, man. Give me a let's go blues. I know Arbor, Unger, Picker, Plager, Rab, McDonald, Shock, Hall, Chris Moore, Patey, Harvey, Jimmy, Robert, Sabarin, Baronson, Thompson, Eggers, Hess, Roberto, Pierre, Plant, Jock, Plant, Gossip, Merrick, Grinch, Rabano, Stevenson, Davidson, St. Marseille, McCreary, Leffley, Ecclestone, Huck, Palace, Harry, Talbot, Keenan, Stanley, Yassi, yes sir, I'm a blues fan, yes sir, I'm a blues fan, heartbreak's all I knew, man, that team from old St. Lou, man, got a cup in here, 52, man, give me a let's go blues. Hello and welcome to Blue Notes, located on the best city on the Mississippi, the best in the West, your home for the Blues and the home of Tory Krug. And if you're still clueless, we're talking about St. Louis. I am one half of your uh, host here, uh, Tom Franklin, joined as always by my partner in crime, Wags. Wags, how's it going, bud? Uh, I'm coming down off the ledge. Uh, you know, Friday <laughs> Friday night I was up there and I was like, uh oh. But I'm coming down from the ledge. Uh, I'm I'm starting to come around on things and just hoping that we're gonna have a good year next year. By the way, just a little bit of a peek behind the curtain here. So uh, Wags, about uh, five minutes before recording here, was on the Eads Bridge, about ready to jump off of it. So uh, we we've saved him. You're okay. You're going to be fine. You're not going to cannonball into the Mississippi River. Not today, anyway. So no. <laughs> I wouldn't advise that for anyone, actually. It kind of hurts. So um, first of all, first things first, we have a lot of free agency stuff to talk about, guys. I mean, this is what this episode's going to be about today. Uh, before we get going here, I want to give a quick uh, congratulations to the winner of our Blue Notes question of the week, uh, you, uh, winning a uh, cloth mask, a Blue Notes cloth mask, which I don't have one around me, so I can't turn it upside down this time. Um, but uh, I want to give a shout-out to uh, at WindmillNV, the Vegas Blues fan on uh, Twitter. Ironic that uh, we're talking about Vegas and the Blues on this podcast. But uh, congratulations, and we'll have a, a new question for you here uh, after the show um, this is a live show, by the way. This isn't pre-taped like we did before. We, we want to take your comments. Uh, you can, uh, If you're watching on Facebook, if you're watching on Periscope, if you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment, and I can flash them up on the screen, and we can talk about it as well. Uh, 314-329-4349. 314-329-4349 is our Google Voice number. You can call it. You can text it 24-7. And uh, have your voice be heard on Blue Notes as well. We do have a couple of calls uh, that we will be running as the uh, conversation goes on here. But let's go ahead and get right to it. So, a lot's happened the last three days. Um, we're, we're not even talking about the NHL draft. I mean, that happened too. And we, we, we'll, we'll talk about that 
on the backside of this podcast here. So uh, definitely not as newsworthy as it's been the last couple of days. So, uh, Wags, you and I were on uh, local high school football duty uh, in two different places. And um, you were the first to inform me of the Tory Krug signing, which I did not see coming at all. I mean, some I mean, there, there had been some hockey experts that had speculated that that might be a possibility, but maybe it was just me not coming to grips with the fact that the Alex Petrangelo era was coming to an end. And so when I see Tory Krug, you know, you telling me that Tory Krug is signed, stunned. Seven years, 45 and a half mil, which, by the way, I had to do a double take on because that's exactly the contract that Justin Falk got. A six and a half million dollars average annual value. Also, Justin Falk, no trade clause. Also, Justin Falk. I'm sure that's not a coincidence. Um, and by the way, very interesting to note here with the Tory Krug deal. Uh, Doug Armstrong, quoted by the Athletics Jeremy Rutherford. We're learning more about Doug Armstrong's idiosyncrasies when it comes to contract negotiations here. He doesn't like signing bonuses. He uh, doesn't like, and apparently he doesn't like no movement clauses. He says that no player should have more power than the owner. And that's what he feels a no movement clause does because basically, like for instance, in Tampa, they waive Tyler Johnson, uh, who has four years, $20 million left on his deal. He has a no trade clause, but he could still be waived. In a no movement clause... You can't even be waived. I mean, so I, I can't blame Armstrong for that. I mean, that's you're, you're pretty much there, there's a few players in the league that I feel kind of hold their teams hostage because of a no movement clause. So I'm I, I'm, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt there. Continuing on. So that's not the only thing that happened in the days that followed. The Blues signed former Flames goaltender John Gillies. I think that's how you say his name to a two way deal. Uh, at one time, I think he was being considered as the heir apparent in Calgary after Kiprasov. I don't think it quite worked out for him, though. Um, the Blues signed former Panthers and Devils defenseman Steven Santini to a two-way deal, a bit of uh, depth. Of course, the Blues lost Derek Pouliot, so let's uh, you know let, let's let, let's pour one out for our uh, you know wayward defenseman there. Uh, hopefully, he's back on his feet. Looks like he is back on his feet, literally. So that's good. And um, former. L.A. Kings tough guy, Kyle Clifford, signs on Sunday today, if you're watching, uh, to a two-year, $2 million deal. So we'll talk about that as well. And then, of course, you know, as I'm preparing all of that, getting everything set up for this episode here, um, the moments that Blues fans have been dreading happened. Uh, Golden Knights, um, will, according to a, a report, will sign Alex Bertrangelo to a seven-year, forty-five, excuse me, fifty-seven point seven five million dollar deal, worth an average of eight point two five million dollars average annual value. Don't know if there what the no movement clause situation is. Don't know what the signing bonus situation as of this recording yet, which will play heavily. You know, whenever you're comparing this to the Doug Armstrong conversations, you know about uh, Petrangelo. And whether and what he feels about you know signing bonuses and whatnot. So let, we'll see what the, what Vegas actually put into this deal. They gave him like a big two day tour of Vegas. Presumably Petro's still there, probably to sign the contract. Um, and also Vegas is apparently on the verge of trading Nate Schmidt. He had been rumored to go to Winnipeg earlier in the day, but he is being sent to Florida, reportedly, according to Andy Strickland, to uh, make some salary cap space and some roster space for. Alex Petrangelo. So, 
We got some good. We got some bad here. Uh, let's get to the good first. Uh, Tori Krug, your reaction whenever uh, you saw the news? Uh, I was kind of like you. I was like, I was shocked because once again, no one really saw that coming. In fact, if you listen to the interviews with Tory Krug, he didn't even see it coming. You know, his agent was like, there's always going to be a team that comes out of the blue, no pun intended, to strike you with an offer that you can't refuse in a sense. And when the Blues did that, you know, he jumped on it, which I don't blame him. You know, that's seven years security, $45 million, six and a half per year. I mean, that's that's not bad. Um, the, the, the greatest thing, though, was that reaction from Robert Thomas, who got obliterated in game one of the finals, <laughs> where he basically tweeted out that picture and said, are we best are, are we best friends now? And then Krug responded with the, you know, the stepbrothers. Yep. So <laughs> I, I like the fact that, you know, he's, he's embracing it. And yes, it's, it's a, it's a Bruin, but he, he's, he's going to help the power play. And, and that's what people need to understand. And, you know, they're going to look at it and say, oh, well, Justin Falk was supposed to help the power play as well. Tory Krug is legitimately going to help the power play. And, and really he's going to help solidify the pairings, you know, him and, and Falk are going to be together. It's a left and a right. So Falk's not playing on his offhand and he can be, they can be the second defensive pairing. You've got Scandella and Pareko as a defensive pairing. They stick together and you pray that Scandella reverts back to his form in the regular season. And then you've got that third pairing of, you know, Gunnarsson, Bortuzzo, uh, Perunovic, you know, McCullough, all those guys. So it, it really kind of solidifies. He's not coming in here to replace Alex Petrangelo. He's just taking his spot. I'll just put it that way. So I, I, I'm okay with it. You knew it was coming, I think, when Petro didn't sign before. But I, I'm okay with it right now. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm had time to think about it. Uh, showing a uh, comment right now from my friend Tim, who you'll hear later on. Uh, he called the Blue Notes fan line earlier. Schmidt not going to Florida now, per David Pagnata. He's being traded, just not to Florida. So uh, thanks for jumping in on that. It's kind of hard to podcast and follow uh, Twitter at the same time. Which, by the way, Wags, you know, like have you like I use TweetDeck. So like, have you noticed like if you use TweetDeck or even just regular Twitter, it kind of looks like the Matrix the last couple of days. You know, like you're staring into the screen with the dripping, you know, green text coming down the screen. It kind of looks like that lately for me. Oh yeah, it, it, basically it's the end of times. I it, mean, that's it, what it, feels what it like comes it. down to. Yeah, so we're all going to be, you know, eating bland oatmeal type substance food in the future. So uh, wait, you, you know, don't eat bland oatmeal types of food? I work in radio, so I mean, I, my oatmeal has some flavor. I can I, I can afford a little bit of flavor in my oatmeal, um, even some MSG, you know, which uh, you know, ramen's always cheap. Ramen That's true. Always cheap. It's ultimate cheap food. So, all right, we have definitely got this podcast off track. Let's get it back on track here, Tory Crew. So. You know, my first reaction it was it was it was shock. I mean, you know, because it 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 to me, and I think a lot of Blues fans, it signaled the end of the Alex Petrangelo era. Now, Armstrong said afterwards that he wasn't done with Petro. That you know, maybe there still could be something worked out. You know, so that has led to a lot of speculation as to okay, how do you make a Petrangelo and a Tory Crew signing happen? You know, so you know. Blues fans were like ready to trade Bozak. They're ready to trade Falk. Of course, they're always ready to trade Falk. So that's that's nothing new. Um, you know, they're you know talk, maybe talking about Jaden Schwartz being moved. Actually, I I admittedly I brought that up as a possibility, and I was ready to spend this podcast episode if Petrangelo had not gone to uh, come to terms with Vegas yet, talking about okay, how do we 
get Petrangelo and now that Krug's here. And the fact that Petrangelo has signed with Vegas kind of, you know, it puts that to rest. And it kind of, looking back on it, it was kind of silly. Just because the Blues would have had to have, I mean, just trading Bozak would not have gotten the job done. They would have had to have traded Bozak and another salary. And it's just, that would have been that would have been a hard sell. You know, was, you're still dealing with players here. And no no GM likes to call a player and say, hey, you're going to Buffalo. You know, that, let's just face it. And, and no player wants to go to Buffalo, except Taylor Hall, apparently. But we'll talk about that a little later on here. But back to Krug. Another thought that I had, Wags, was this, this it really did feel like Doug Armstrong was trying to jump in front of the situation with Petrangelo, thinking that, you know, maybe after a year of negotiations and, you know, really not a lot of progress being made, maybe he saw the writing on the wall with Tory Krug and he decided to go out and get Krug, you know, instead of waiting for Petrangelo, because it looked like Petrangelo was ready to wait this out for a while. And, you know, no GM wants a player. Just as, you know, Doug Armstrong said, you know, no player should have more power than the owner. You know, at the same time, he didn't want, I don't think he wanted Petrangelo to, like, hold the Blues hostage while he waited on his future. So, you know, to me, it felt like that, you know, he was getting Krug, you know, just to, you know, say, hey, you know, we may, we may not have Petro, but we ha- we still have an all-star defenseman, Wags. They didn't want to lose out. That, that was the thing, because Tory Krug was the next guy after Petrangelo, and after Toronto signed guys and, and the teams that were looking for Petrangelo, and I was just talking about this with another person a little while ago. They're like, why Why are we saying that Petro essentially got screwed? Because you know the offer for seven years, $8.25 million, if that's the case, yes, there's no salary tax or you know salary or a luxury, not a luxury tax, sales tax in Vegas. So yeah, the Blues would have had to come in probably around eight four eight five to essentially match what Vegas is giving him. And they probably would have. So, in essence, Petro's agent kind of screwed him out of more money and a legacy in St. Louis, whereas now he'll kind of be looked at as, you know, he brought the cup here, but he didn't finish his career here. And if I'm Petrangelo, I'm I'm actually kind of upset at my agent because, you know, the, the teams that wanted him, Toronto, Florida, those teams – went out and signed cheaper options because of the way the salary cap is going to be for the next few years. And they just didn't look at that. And and they didn't take what they had in front of them and kind of make some concessions and maybe move some things around. Because Doug Armstrong even said, I believe, that he did put a small no-movement clause in there for the last few years of that contract to basically say, hey, look, you get to 36, 37, 38, you're not going anywhere. So right. it's not a full contract. And yes, maybe he gets traded at age 35 the year before it kicks in. But the, the last few years, he would have had that comfort of knowing he wasn't going anywhere. So I, I think you know he's going to put on the, the face and the smile and say, I'm happy to be in Vegas, but he's probably back there seething going, why did I not fire my agent? Yeah, he's got to be at least a little upset at Newport you know, for how they handled this. It felt like Newport was ready to go into this offseason, even knowing the situation with the COVID cap of 81.5 mil and teams, you know, not having you know as much money to work with as they would have. I mean, we're talking about five, six million dollars that teams were pretty much robbed of because of this damn pandemic. Uh, so you know, so it felt like Newport was ready to go into this offseason and use Petrangelo as an example and say, okay, we're gonna play chicken here with with uh, with the COVID cap here. Someone 
is going to give Petrangelo his money. You know, whether it's the team he wants to be on or not, someone will get Petrangelo what he wants. And to me, as it as time went on, you know, it felt I mean, it kind of felt like that maybe Petrangelo was overplaying his hand. Um, I don't think he. I'm with you, Wags. I don't think he truly wanted to leave St. Louis. I mean, but at the same time, there was a part of him that I could tell he wanted to. You know, this was a, his last chance at a big contract. You know, he wanted to get paid, and he, I can't blame him for that. You know, he's got kids now. He's got a Stanley Cup. He gave the St. Louis Blues a, so much in his career. I mean, he was the captain. He was a tremendous player. And he he was a great leader. You know, he was he was a great player to have. He did turn 30, though. And, you know, I can understand the, you know, unwillingness to give him a long term deal with that much money when you have like the Duncan Keys and the Brent Seabrooks. And, you know, I think San Jose has like four contracts that, you know, they're kind of like defense been playing up until their 40s. It's ridiculous. Um, you know, so I, I don't blame you know, Armstrong for being prudent there. Um, I just, I do kind of wonder though, you know, 8.25 mil per, that's not far off from where Armstrong and Petrangelo were at. I mean, do you, do you feel Wags that this, this is something that could have been tied up earlier and we wouldn't even be having this conversation? Yeah, oh, most definitely. And, you know, honestly, until the official announcement and his signature goes on that contract, uh, I'm not totally closing the door on the Blues coming back in and say, hey, whoa, 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 you want eight and a half? Okay, we'll give you eight and a half. I mean, because you basically, the market's now been set for it. You know, this is, it's come out. That's the only contract offer he's been offered outside of the Blues one. So if, if Petro was smart, I would say, he, he might want to circle back to the Blues and say, hey, look, this is what it is. Now, Vegas may not give him that option, but, at the very least, I'd leave that door cracked. And as far as him getting deeper into the contract with the age, you know, you bring up Keith and Seabrook and the guys in San Jose. The, the big difference for me with Petrangelo is he's not the rough and tumble defenseman that a Keith, a Seabrook, and those guys in San Jose are. You know, he is a guy that has avoided major injury for the most part. He has had some injury issues, but nothing consistent, nothing long term. He's a guy that doesn't put himself in a position to be hit. And he is very, very fit. So I'm not as opposed to that long-term contract. So like I said, I always compare him to Nicholas Lidstrom in a sense. I mean, I don't think anybody can be as good as Nick Lidstrom. Uh, and that's that hurts saying that because he's a Red Wing. But he has that same sort of mindset and same sort of mold that Lidstrom has. And Lidstrom played until he was about 40 or so. So I wouldn't have been opposed to that long-term deal. But I still, I, I do understand the thought process behind what they were trying to do. If you're watching on Facebook and Twitter or on YouTube, feel free to leave a comment. We'll uh, bring it on screen and we'll uh, gladly talk about it here. We also have our Blue Notes fan line, 314-329-4349. And we did have uh, my friend Tim call in once again here. And uh, I do want to warn you before you call into the Blue Notes fan line, make sure you're in a quiet area and you'll see why here uh, with uh, Tim's first attempt. Uh, so I am happy with the Krug signing. That was, you know, a good deal. I mean, it just came out of nowhere also, which is awesome. But, uh, I like it because it keeps your stock. Please don't play this one. Take of this one. I'll try it again when the dog's not barking. So Wow, so you still played it. <laughs> I still played it. Yeah, I, I had to. I, you know, 
if you've ever met his dog, it, it's a big like it's a big white like shepherd sheep herding dog that like barks at everything. Uh, I just thought it was funny. I thought it was funny, and he also named it Yori. You know, back when Laterra was still, you know, well, it's decent. ironic that it's a a white as snow kind of dog, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he's heard that once or twice, probably from me. So he did go ahead and uh, redo his phone call. Let's go ahead and uh, play it here. There is no dog in this one, I, I promise you. All right, I'm going to try this again now. All right, so um, I like the curb sign because it came out of nowhere, number one, but also leaves the where the Blues aren't left flat-footed if, uh, if Petro does, in fact, leave, which I think he will, obviously. I think it's going to be. I think he's going to wind up becoming the first captain in Vegas history, you know, Vegas whole nice history. Um, also, in the off chance that he actually does come back, it would also give them the potential to have a true shutdown number one defensive pair, that, which they haven't had in a long time. License Bronner and McKinnis were together. Um, as far as Petrangelo, I'm not mad at either side. I mean, if I was going to be mad at anybody, it would be Petrangelo because he overplayed his hand. I'm not mad at Armstrong because he covered himself. It's not like he's just shut the door either on him. He's, he just wasn't going to sit there and wait around and be strung along. It's not wrong with that. I'm glad he has a plan. It's nice to have a GM that has a plan like that. Um, I mean, no matter what happens with the trade, I mean, if he goes to Vegas, good luck there. I mean, it looks like he'd be a good fit. So it is what it is. Tim without the dog. Uh, thanks for that. By the way, he called before the uh, Vegas news came down, by the way. And uh, oh, and, and about his dog, um, as you can see here, uh, he's a psycho. And I can verify that. Uh, when I go to his house, like, Yuri hates me. I, I, I can't be around that dog. He just, when he just, he, he sees me and he, it's like, it's like the Kill Bill sirens go off. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's not good. So, um, yeah, he has to hide when I'm there. But uh, regardless, enough about Yori the dog. Uh, he did bring up a point, though, you know, in, in that, you know, it sounds like maybe, um, you know, Tory Krug is definitely more of an offensive type as, uh, you know, we'll bring up Jay Fresh's analytics here once again. You can see, I mean, you can see his strength right there is, is on the offensive side. Not terrible on defense. Uh, you can ask Robert Thomas that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's definitely you know, an offensive minded guy. And when I, when I look at his, uh, you know, analytics here, Wags, you know, I can't help but, but think that of what a Tory crew, Colton Pareko pairing could do on that top pairing. You think that's where they go? Um, I'd like to say yes on that, but I still think it comes down. It's, it's going to be Krug and Falk, I think, to start things off. I think they probably will both play off of each other very, very well. It'll take a little bit of the pressure off of Falk is, in addition, so I think that's probably the direction they're going to go. But yeah, if, honestly, if your top power play unit has Krug and Pareko on it, that is where you want it. And then you can throw Falk on that second power play unit, and all of a sudden you've got two deadly units out there if they you know use Tarasenko the right way when he comes back. But that's a whole other story. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's going to go Krug and Falk to start. I think at some point you probably do see Krug and Pareko get together. It really comes down to how guys like Marcos Degandela play, uh, what Scotty Perunovic shows as well, because he's going to be a factor. Uh, McCola as well. I think those are the guys that are really going to have to step up and show what they have to really solidify this defensive core. And one thing we talked about with uh, Jay Fresh last, uh, last week was Vince Dunn, while he's an analytics darling, you know, he has really avoided a lot of top competition. He's been kind of buried on that third pairing. 
And, you know, you want to talk about a Tory Krug t- uh, type of a player. I mean, here's Vince Dunn. So, you know, is it time, do you think, for Vince Dunn to step it up this year? Uh, if he's in St. Louis, uh, that's, if that's he is. Thing. I, I'm still the mindset. I mean, especially after all these signings, yes, the two-way deals, you know, affect the salary cap a little bit differently. But I, I still think Dunn is a guy that might be sacrificed on this team. Uh, and that's it's sad to say because if you can have Krug, Pareko, Falk, Dunn, as you know, four of your defensemen, you've got a lot of offensive capabilities. And it's if we haven't seen enough what offensive defensemen can do for teams, that right there will give you nightmares if you're an opposing team. Because it's like Krug said when he was with you know talking about playing the Blues in the finals. It's like the next line comes over and they got a plan and they go. Then the next line comes over and you're just sitting there going, "Wow, I got to play against this. Now I got to play against that. Now I got to play against this." If you can start rolling that kind of stuff defensively as well, yikes. And and they're going to need to score because they kind of sacrificed a little bit when it comes to the goaltending situation. Yeah, they did. You know, it's going to be interesting to see how Ville Husso does, you know, in his real uh, first crack at the NHL. I mean, he had kind of an up-down year with AHL, actually really last couple of years. But scouts are insistent that he's ready to go. So I guess we'll find out in a bit whether, you know, Husso's ready to go or if we'll see John Gillies up in the uh, – uh, up in the pros. We'll uh, take a look at that. By the way, the Blues currently sit at about, according to Cap Friendly, uh, their current cap hit is $82,675,000, which would be about uh, $1.1 million above you know where the cap is right now. So fitting Vince Dunn onto this team now you're still you're still talking about moving like a Tyler Bozak or someone out to you know accommodate him. Now you can't be above uh, 10% above the salary cap during the off season. So, you know, theoretically the blues would still have a roughly about $7 million to play with during the off season. And then they got to figure out, you know, how they get back under, you know, at the beginning of the season. And one of those ways that they might do that, you know, and this, this, this plays into the Kyle Clifford signing today. Kyle Clifford is a fourth line left wing grinder. Now, who else is a fourth-line left-wing grinder for the Blues? Alex Steen. And uh, we know, well, here's what we know about Alex Steen right now. He's got one year left, $5.75 million. We also know that he got hurt during the playoffs. And I I haven't really found anything as far as like to exactly what the nature of the injury is. The fact they're keeping it kind of quiet, though, is a bit troublesome. And there's some speculation I've seen on Twitter that um, Steen is not expected to play this coming year. He is going to go on LTIR, and then there, there's your 5.75 million savings right there, I guess, or at least you know, a good portion of that. So um, to me, this feels like it feels like Steen, we may have seen the last of him as a blue. Uh, what do you feel? Yeah, I think it is the case. I mean, especially because you're not going to have a whole lot of suitors for trading a guy like Tyler Bozak. You're not going to be trading a Jaden Schwartz, I don't believe, either. So they've got to find a way to make up some of that money. And Steen's done everything that you possibly could ask him to do in a Blues uniform. And it's just going to be one more thing that they're going to ask him to do. But I think he's okay with that. I, I think he sits, he'll sit back and go, okay, look, I can rehab and, and just go at my own pace, make sure I'm healthy. I'm getting paid and I can retire a blue. You know, it, it's one of those things that maybe at, at the end of the year they allow, I, I don't know how LTIR works exactly, 
but maybe there's a chance that he could come off of it for a game, take a lap, and let the crowd, hopefully that is there, show the appreciation that we should have for an Alexander Steen. Yeah, and, and don't forget also Tarasenko will probably go on LTIR as well. So there's you know there's there's another big chunk of money that would theoretically be available. Um, by the way, you know you, you mentioned the uh, Rob Tom tweet at uh, at Tory Krug. You know, did we just become best friends? Do you think Bennington will return the favor to Kyle Clifford? I think so. I mean, he's he's a teammate now. I think the Blues put out some something just recently about that as well, where it's like they're going to have a laugh about it, and then it'll be down to business, and we'll go from there. And that's the great thing about hockey, in a sense. You know, you you are bitter rivals when you're when you're playing against each other, but when you become a part of a team, that team for the most part is going to welcome you. I mean, there's a couple of instances where you go, yeah, this guy is not going to work, but for the most part, they understand it's it's hard nosed hockey. And these guys are going out there and giving their all. So yeah, I think I think that might be a little good-natured ribbing. Maybe a puck gets a little high <laughs> on Clifford or a stick or something like that in a practice. But outside of that, you know, he's part of the team now, so they're, they're going to embrace him. That's kind of the beauty about hockey is that you know not only you know I mean we're, and of course we're talking about an incident that happened early on in the season. You know, I was actually there for that game. You know, with the with the Kings and Blues and Tarasenko uh, injury too. Yeah, that was also the Tarasenko injury game. But uh, you had, you know, Clifford bumping into Bennington and then uh, Barbashev and Sunquist kind of showed him the door, if you will, and, you know, kind of, you know, pinned him up against the boards. And then Barbashev later dropped the gloves against Clifford. But the beauty about hockey is that, you know, you can, you're just as likely to see those four, Bennington, uh, Barbashev, Sunquist, and Clifford at the bar having a drink. You know, that's, that, that's the thing about hockey. That's the brother, brotherhood of hockey right there. And that's what I love about hockey. You know, I mean, they they'll bury the hatchet. I think I think you're you're absolutely right. Just as I'm sure, you know, Tory Krug is going to do something nice for Rob Robert Thomas. At least he should. Otherwise, trade him right freaking now. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We just signed him. We just signed him. We don't. I, I don't know if you could actually do that. I think there's a, a grace period where you have to like keep the guy on the roster if you just signed him. Yeah, I think you're right. Actually, so well, yeah, we'll. we'll We'll see. I'm sure cooler heads will will definitely prevail on that. So a um, couple other uh, bibs and bobs here. Uh, first of all, before we go on to like the other NHL news, um, do you what do you see the Blues doing now in the offseason from here on out, if anything? I just I don't see if there is anything that they can do. I mean, like you said, the LTIR situation is going to free up some money, but I don't think they're really going to mess around with that. I think they're done and set with this team going forward uh, because if you do anything else, you're, you're putting yourself right up against the cap again. And having a guy like Tarasenko coming off LTIR at some point, you're going to have to account for that money. Um, so yeah, I just don't see, especially now that Taylor, Taylor Hall's off the market, I, I don't see anybody else that you could theoretically go after and make your team better without hurting your team. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think there's anything that's going to happen between now and opening night and hopefully opening night's coming here a little bit sooner than we hope. The only thing I see happening, you know, you kind of mentioned, you know, this may be it for Dunn as well is if Dunn gets traded and uh, my friend Tim uh, thinks it makes sense to move Dunn for a forward. But you know, what if, what if we went back to Gabriel Foley's idea, you know, when he was on blue notes where Dunn is used as a sweetener to get rid of like a Tyler Bozak. You know, I, I mean, may, what if Tyler Bozak had been stunned or traded for either picks or another forward? You know, I mean, to me, I mean, it depend on the forward, but uh, that's about the only thing big I can see. 
Yeah, that that would be it because, like you said, he's you know Dunn isn't signed right now, so he's not a part of this team, and he's going to have to get a contract some way or the other. Um, whether it's here or not, we'll see. Uh, just taking a look at the Canadians roster uh, of guys who you might bring in. I mean, they just brought in Josh Anderson. I don't think you're bringing in Thomas Tatar uh, or Brendan Gallagher, Philip Deneau, maybe. Uh, Joel Armia is on there at 2.6 million. He's a right winger. That might be an intriguing option. Uh, outside of that, they're not trading any of their younger guys. So I, I just I don't know who you would get. I think the picks would be better. And if they can find a way to offload that money and not necessarily spend it right now, but keep themselves in the running for a trade at the deadline, that might be the best way to go. I mean, go with what you've got right now. See what you have in these young kids. I mean, we talked about this a lot with the Cardinals when we went into this season with the outfielders. Maybe you got to see what some of these young kids got, like a Clem Costin and a Jordan Cairo in you know game action situations. So maybe Dunn and Bozak go away, but they don't really do much with that money until the deadline and maybe go after him, get a, get a high-impact guy. Yeah, definitely, for sure. And... um so let's take a look around, you know, just around the league here last couple of days. And for me, one of the teams that I was really looking at this offseason, you know, as far as a team that can make some big signings, make a big impact and make the Blues lives a living hell, not that they already do, is the Colorado Avalanche. And so far, uh, they first of all, they re-signed Andre Burakovsky, you know, two years, $4.9 million per. He was a real breakout guy for them. And then they decided to get him and Kadri a line mate in Brandon Saad from the Chicago Blackhawks. It was uh, Saad and uh, Dennis Gilbert, a depth defenseman, in exchange for defenseman Nicholas Zadorov and another defenseman whose name escapes me right now. But basically, the big thing was it was basically Saad for Zadorov. Uh, Chicago retains one mil. Saad has one year left. Saad's a guy that analytics you know and again i'm still getting I'm learning the analytics side of things here but i saw one report i think it may have been from jay fresh himself that suggested that sod is one of the best offensive you know zone generators in the entire game he just for some reason his teammates won't score you know i think the reason is because he plays for the blackhawks you know so that's you know that, that could be the reason but to me brandon sod with the avalanche with a Nazem Kadri and Andre Burakovsky next to him. That top six for the Avalanche brightens the hell out of me. And I think Brandon Saad is going to have a real big bounce back year in, in Colorado. What'd we ever do to you, Chicago? I mean, come on. Like, why? <laughs> what did we ever do to you? Uh, but I agree 100%. Him going to Colorado just makes them deadlier uh, offensively. The, the thing that still is up in the air for me with Colorado is still the goaltending. I mean, you've got... You know, you saw what happened in the bubble. Uh, they had a good start, and then it all kind of fell apart due to injuries, and they really didn't go out and get anybody. I mean, you had a bevy of goaltenders that you could have gone out there. I mean, Henrik Lundqvist, Braden Holtby, Jacob Markstrom. I mean, all those guys, Matt Murray in a trade possibly could have been somebody that you brought in because that team is legitimately a solid goaltender away from being one of the most deadly teams in the NHL. And then on the flip side of that, you know, apparently the core of the Chicago Blackhawks are very upset with the moves so far. And I saw a report that uh, they're pretty much at the point where it's like enough is enough because not only did they trade away Brendan Saad for, you know, the, you know, statue that is Nikita Zadorov. If you talk to our 
friends at the offside by a mile. Um, but also, you know, they lost Crawford. Yep. You know, they're a longtime goalie. Corey Crawford's gone. They traded to Ray Ro- uh, Robin Leonard. They have done very little to, uh, you know, fill those goal- fill those gaps, which I know just breaks your heart, Wags. You know, that fact that the Blackhawks are probably looking at another year of suffering. I mean, darn. Just, I, I, darn. Honestly, I was, I was actually a little bit pining for Corey Crawford here in St. Louis to back up Bennington. I really thought it would have been a great addition and given Bennington someone that can push him, but also give the Blues a fallback option if Bennington is not who we think he could be. Yeah, absolutely. That would have been an interesting option right there. Um, but And I'm kind of glad to see Chicago kind of dismantling like this. Uh, they also traded Ali Mato away to uh, Los Angeles. Uh, I'm kind of glad to see it, if nothing else, because they were still a 12 seed in the playoffs and they looked, you know, they looked, still looked kind of dangerous. And, you know, I, they were kind of a team that's like, you know, you have, you know, the Brinkett's getting better. Uh, they have Kubalik, who is a really good player. Kirby Doc's ready to go for them. Nylander's getting better. They still have Dylan Strome, who's a restricted free agent, but I, he should be back. Um, and a Bockfist is ready to go. So it looked like they were a couple moves away from, you know, maybe getting back into that contendership discussion. And instead, they're stripping away you know, their, their core. So bad contracts for you. Yeah. Bad contracts. And, you know, it it gives you some tough decisions, which again, you know, going back to Petrangelo, you know, if you have an Alexander Petrangelo at age 37, you know, you're not getting rid of that contract, obviously, and you're not going to trade a a team legend at that point. So, you know, more money, more problems, (laughs) you know, as they say, as the old rap song goes, more money, more problems. The old rap song. Oh my gosh. Oh my. Yeah. I, I think I was probably like, seven when that song came out right there with you that's how old i am yeah so other interesting uh wheelings and dealings in the offseason taylor hall a guy that i thought maybe colorado would be interested in apparently they there were discussions between hall and uh, the avalanche uh didn't go anywhere apparently uh taylor hall you know for all that he has said during his time in arizona about wanting to play for a contender goes to buffalo 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 Maybe he likes the wings. Uh, it, good wings up there. I can verify that. I, I went to Be- I've been to Buffalo once and Anchor Bar, fantastic. Um, but one year, eight million dollars. We don't know if there's a no trade or anything like that. Uh, actually, I, I was on Cap Friendly. It looks like he has a no trade and a no movement clause. Then I, st- I, mm-hmm. I don't understand because because this to me this would be the type of a signing for Buffalo where you maybe flip him at the deadline. Um, cause you're not, you're not going to the, making a cup run next year in Buffalo. Hello, you're Buffalo. It's not happening, but it's, is this a surprise of the off season that Taylor Hall is going to Buffalo? Uh, yeah, it, it definitely is a surprise, but once again, it just goes back and shows you what this flat cap is going to do over the next couple of years. It's going to really push a lot of these guys to, to look at, at this long and hard and go, maybe I do a one or two year bridge deal and then get my full one once we kind of get back to normal. But, and, and I see this from Tim, he actually just put it up here. Having the no trade, no movement clause gives Hall full control at the trade deadline. And that's exactly the point I was going to make. You know, you talk about, you know, Buffalo being able to get a Hall and trade him at the deadline. Well, Taylor Hall is making $8 million regardless. And if it comes to the point where Buffalo is out of it, he can pick and choose who he goes to. Yes, Buffalo is going to get a good deal out of it. It's some in some way, shape, or form, but he's going to be able to pick where he goes. So whatever team he feels has the best chance of the teams that make offers to, to Buffalo, 
he's going to get to basically pick and choose where he gets to go and make his Stanley Cup run. That's true, but as Doug Armstrong warned, Taylor Hall now has more power than Terry Pegula. And, and so, does Terry Pegula mm-hmm. actually have any control in Buffalo? I mean, no. Ask any Buffalo Sabres fan; he he has no control whatsoever. It, it's it's sad. It really is a sad situation. Yeah. Um. And and I guess with Taylor Hall, I mean, you know, he's gonna he's guaranteed he's gonna be playing like if he's not in the first line, at least top six. I mean, he, but he's probably going to be, got to be a first line. Oh guy. yeah. Him and Eichel. That, that yeah. should be interesting. So, so if some of the talk going into this off season was Taylor Hall signing a short term deal to kind of rebuild his, you know, stock a little bit, maybe this is the place to do it. Cause he's going to get all the top line minutes in the world in Buffalo. So stick taps to them, I guess. Um, and finally stick taps to our friend, uh, Oakville native, well, I, I guess he's a friend of everyone in St. Louis after what he did in the Stanley Cup run. I don't know him personally. Um, but Pat Maroon. Yet. Pat Maroon finally gets his two-year deal. He stays in Tampa, uh, $900,000 in the next two seasons. I was beaming after he signed that deal because, you know, I know he's been wanting, you know, some security in his career. It seemed like that he really fit in well in Tampa. You know, they won a cup. You know, he gets an assist, you know, in the, uh, you know, the, the clinching game as well. And just um, his appearance on Spin Chicklets was great, by the way. If you have a chance to listen to that, he was there uh, on their last last Monday's episode. Just he's he was still recovering from all the Stanley Cup, you know, drinking that he was doing, you know, the day after. And uh, his voice was kind of raspy a little bit. Uh, but it, it's great. Pat Maroon's a legend. And I'm just I'm so happy that Pat Maroon got his deal, even though it's not in St. Louis. He's he, he's he's in a place where he seems to be happy, and that's good. Well, you also have to remember when the Blues signed him, they were the only team that was even going to offer him a contract, and they didn't even do that until late. I mean, it was a late offer when it came in for Pat Maroon the year they won the Cup. So yep. to go from basically having only one team interested in you, and really they were questioning even that. To now going back to back, and now you've got your two year deal. Yeah, he didn't get a raise, but now he's got two more years of security. Congratulations, Pat! And if you're listening, you know, come on and tell us about what's you, you know what what's going on with this contract. You know, what are you doing with your money? <laughs> and airfare from St. Louis to Tampa is pretty cheap, so yeah. you know you can fly a Legion for like you know forty bucks one way. It's you know it's not not too bad of a deal at all. Uh, by the way, we have not talked about the NHL draft here at all, so we're going to do that when we come back. Uh, we're going to pay some bills first, you know, uh, tell you about another one of our podcasts, the Bolts Bro- Broadcast Podcast, pay some bills with Manscaped, and then on the f- when we come back, we're going to go to the beach, Wags. Ooh, we're, yeah. We are going to take a trip to the beach with our good friend, the Hawaii Blues fan. And uh, he's got something to say about Jake Neighbors and the St. Louis Blues draft as a whole. So we're going to do that uh, right after we pay some bills right here on Blue Notes. This episode of the Blue Notes podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Got a crazy bush? You know if you trim your hedges, your tree stands taller. Have you ever wished she was smoother down there? She probably has too. If you're anything like me and or just not a neurosurgeon with a steady hand, you probably neglect below the belt. Manscaped has us covered. Millions of balls are about to be nick free thanks to Manscaped advanced skin safe technology. 
Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. Whew. One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates growing areas for closer and more precise trimming. That's insane. If you're listening to me speak right now, you're one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the promo code THPN at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping again with promo code THPN at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the promo code THPN. The best in men's below the belt grooming. Do you want a true champion's perspective? Well, come on over to the Bulls broadcast where we talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning, have some friendly banter, and of course, hockey name of the day. If you pronounce it, you can get it. Anthony Nunschwander. Ah, you didn't pronounce it right. Anthony? Anthony Nunschwander. It's, it's N-E-U-E-N. It's Neunschwander. Anthony Neunschwander. Dude, I always slept in German class, so I don't know I don't know how you expected me to put that together. Come on. You only took it for four years. I took it for two. Took it for two years? Oh no, Jay don't yeah. took it that long. I, I took it for two years and was like asleep in all of German too. Oh, you you, you only took it in, in uh, junior high. You didn't take yeah. it in high school at all. No. Yeah, she sent us across the hallway, and it was like me and I don't know five other people, and all we did was just goof off because it was an empty room of just us while she was too busy yelling at you guys because you guys were a terrible <laughs> class. No, we were in terrible class. A couple people were terrible people. Uh, not going to mention names. Not going to call it anybody in this pod. It was Chase Crawshaw. It was one hundred percent not me. Oh boy, I know a couple of those names, but uh, yeah, it's a good point, Chase. We won't mention those here. New episodes every Monday, only on the Hockey Podcast Network. Aloha, I'm Guy, the Hawaii Blues fan host of the Blue Note Fan Report, and this is my Aloha Commentary. Blue, Notes fa- Blue Note Podcast fan- fans, as you can see, I'm doing one of the most dangerous things out there. I have my back to a very active and wild ocean. What do I think is the most dangerous thing? Well, for me, one of the most dangerous things is having to draft in the first round of the NHL in the middle to lower parts of the round. Doug Armstrong just found that out and decided to go all Mr. Rogers' neighborhood and start singing, wouldn't you like to be my neighbor? Has he picked number 26, Jake Neighbors? The consensus on him is out. Uh, NBC had him at number 31. Others had him from 40 to 75. It might be a slight reach, and it may be three or four years before we see Mr. Neighbors wearing the blue note. At number two, or pardon me, in the third round, he had two pickups, Peterson and Loof. In the fourth round, he picked up Tanner Dixon. In the fifth round, he picked up Matthew Kessel. In the seventh round, he picked up Noah Beck. The reason I mention those two is someone close to the Blues told me that those might be the two best pickups, and you probably will see them in a blue note sooner rather than later. Next... 24 hours or so later comes free agency. And on the first day of free agency, 
all the goalies, or at least the majority of them, went everywhere but St. Louis. Except one, a WHLer from Calgary who's had nothing but a cup of coffee, Mr. Gillis. He signed to a two-way, I think he's just protection, he's nothing more than a WHL, OHL goalie. We'll see what happens. I think he's in, we'll be in the AHL now. Um, then he makes the splash of the day. He goes out and gets his defenseman, but not the defenseman we all thought. Late in the day, when no one expected it, and yes, I'm trying not to wipe out, just like Doug Armstrong is, he picks, or he signs, Tory Krug to a six-year, $45 million contract, or seven-year, $45 million contract with an average value of $6.5 million, $6 million a year. And, you know, this is a tough competitor. He's small, he's fast, he's offensive-minded. Um, I think he's going to change the Blues up a little bit. Uh, a lot of people are thinking that he should pair with Pareko. I don't. I think per he should pair with either Falk or, one, or uh, Scandella and let Pareko pair with the other one, give that good left-right going. And see what happens there is you have two really good defensemen in your top two pairings. Um, I think it will help the Blues. He made two signings on day two, but they were so ho-hum, I don't even remember who they were. One from Dallas and one from Minnesota, and one that had played with Minnesota, I think. They're two-way contracts, they'll be in the minors. You know, it, it, there's still a lot to happen. Um, Doug still has a chance to really wow us. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if there was a trade happening sometime this week, a major trade, this wouldn't be surprised at all. One of the last things to say is that I know that uh, the Blues were very, very high on Reichel and had talked to him. Um, unfortunately, Chicago got in there and stole him from us. I thought we should have moved up and got our guy, but we didn't. Maybe nothing was there. Well, guys. Uh, as you can see, the sun is rising, the waves are coming in, and it's time for me to enjoy a little bit of Hawaii. So this is Guy, the Hawaii Blues fan, saying aloha, mahalo. Please subscribe to my YouTube page and to the Blue Notes podcast. Aloha. I will see you on the next Blue Note Fan Report. All right, let me just say, first of all, Intensely jealous of yes. Hawaii Blues fan. That is a beautiful looking beach. That that water's got to be absolutely just. It just looks like the perfect temperature. I don't know if it is or not, but it just looks like it. And you know, I I want to give some stick taps first of all to Mrs. Hawaii Blues fan who shot that video. Uh, uh, guy wanted to make sure I gave that shout out. Thank you very much. And I I cannot wait, Wags, because he's he's going from place to place to place now. I can't wait for him to do his Aloha commentary from atop the volcano. We're working up there, I think. I think I, I think the top of the volcano is on the way. We're we're, we're getting there. We are we are absolutely getting there. So, 
Um, want to thank uh, the Hawaii Blues fan for that, of course. Um, he brings up Jake Neighbors, and uh, you know he kind of echoes a lot of what uh, analysts have been saying about Jake Neighbors since the draft. I like the pick personally. He profiles very well as a Blues type of a player. But uh, our our friend of the program, Gabriel Foley, did a, a NHL draft recap on uh, stlouisgametime.com. And he kind of joins the calls of people who are kind of skeptical about him. Um, his reader, uh, he, he noted that uh, neighbors kind of came out of le- a left field for him. Uh, but he does say, and I quote here, Neighbors is the pinnacle build of a grinder. He's Ruby's dream player, really. He has a level of aggression physically and work ethic that was unmatched in this draft class. But what takes it to the next level is the skating. Neighbors' speed and agility is absolutely terrific, effectively upgrading him from a simple pest to a top-nine grinder. Neighbors doesn't have the scoring upside of some of his contemporaries, but his grit and grind is unprecedented this year. Neighbors should develop into a very reliable third-line grinder for the Blues, helping provide the same level of aggression that won the Blues the Cup two seasons ago. So, I, I agree with his, his assessment on Neighbors, you know, and just the type of player he is. You know, watching some video of his, he's very quick. He's very fast. He can he can beat defenders. He can just run over defenders if he wanted to as well. And uh, he does have some decent stick handling from what I've seen. I mean, he 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 put in a couple nice beauty breakaways in some of the videos that I saw. Um, does he have like you know like elite you know scoring talent? I didn't really see that too much. And the the thing that I think people take note of is the fact that he only profiles as like a middle six type of a of a forward. And some people were wondering, well, why didn't you draft someone else at a higher upside? Because there were a couple players that you know may have had higher ceilings than them. I feel like Neighbors was pretty low risk. He seems like a low risk guy. He seems like that he'll at least be able to match expectations. Um, I like his moxie. He seems like a good character guy. He just and I agree with 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 Gabriel and that he just feels like a St. Louis Blues type of a player and a kind of a guy that could be a fan favorite for years to come. Um, it's just that no, you know, he doesn't profile as a top end guy. I like the pick because again, he profiles as a Blues guy. But do you do you agree with people that think that maybe the Blues should have rolled the dice on someone else that maybe had a higher ceiling but also had more bust potential? Or do you like the neighbor's pick? Uh, I like the neighbor's pick if it was in the second round. Yeah. Uh, the fact, and yes, it was a late first round pick. So late first round picks sometimes are reaches. But like Foley said in the past, this is probably one of the greatest NHL draft class we're going to have since the 1980s. So the fact that you are reaching in the first round, in a sense, for a guy that, yes, does fit your, your profile, but who's to say that in three or four years that profile has changed because Craig Berube isn't here and the style of the Blues changes. So, you know, I like to pick if it would have been in the second round. I think I would have been happy one of two ways. I would have been happy if they would have picked a, a more high-impact player in the first round. But honestly, I would have been more happy if they would have traded that pick back. Because if they were looking at a guy that was projected to be in the second round, why not go out there and maybe collect a pick or two for that first-round pick and allow a team to get up there? Because the team didn't have a second-round pick, and there were guys going in the second round that were first-round talent. So that was the the thing that really kind of got to me, was that 
it didn't seem like there was any effort to to move that pick. And I'm wondering if that's partially because Bill Armstrong's not there, and you know the whole draft strategy was essentially, like you said, to be safe. So yeah. they went with the safe option. So I, I don't know. That's it's going to be three or four years down the road. We're going to be looking at it and going, okay, that was a great move, or it was like, oh, uh, what did we do? Yeah, exactly. So um, it's I have high hopes that he'll be a blue. He'll be wearing the blue note at some point. It's just I'm tempering my expectations with him. Uh, in the WHL, by the way, in 2019-20, uh, played 64 games, scored 23 goals, had 47 assists for 70 points. So not bad numbers, but in the WHL, it's a very score-happy league. So you, you're expecting higher numbers, you know, obviously, um, than what, what neighbors provided. But we'll see what happens with him. Now, Gabriel Foley, in the third round, uh, he feels the Blues got a steal here with, with Dylan Peterson, the center. You look at his stats, 2019-20 in the U.S. Uh, developmental program. He played 45 games, 8 goals, 17 assists for 25 points. Mm, okay. Um, and, of course, the Blues now have a second-round pick because of the Marco Scandella trade. But Gabriel Foley feels that Peterson is a second-round talent. And here's his write-up on Peterson. Quote, the six foot four centerman has sky-high potential. like the sounds of that. While his skating and shot need definite work, his strength, defense, and, well, size are all terrific attributes. He has the potential to develop into the next David Backus for the Blues. You'd like to see that from a third-round pick. Um, establishing a great net front playmaking presence. He's Tage Thompson 2.0, but this time around the Blues uh, spent a third-round pick instead of a first-rounder. Tage was a first-rounder, obviously. Uh, for Peterson, the sky is the limit. If all goes well, he could develop into a serious second-line center for the Blues. While his scoring will likely always be a downside, his benefits he brings on the defense and with his strength are going to be well worth the pick. So the way he kind of makes it out to be here, Wags, you know, we might be looking at another, like a potential Selkie candidate here, like a like another Rick Mahar. I'll take that every day of the week. And he also makes note of the fact that he's a net front playmaker, you know, size, strength, leadership, all things that, you know, if you watch the blues for the last couple of years, outside of the year that Maroon was here, they didn't really have that outside or that net front front presence that really distracts goalies and, and mucks and grinds and gets the trash kind of goals. Well, here you got a guy that profiles like David Backus, who did that as one of the best in the blues uniform in that case. And yeah, it might take a couple years for him to get here, but just to have that guy on that trajectory and and possibly be that guy, you put him there on the second line. You got Robert Thomas up there on that first line. It, it could be a very very scary situation here in the next couple of years. Absolutely. And uh, their next pick in the third round, you know they, you know we were, we were talking about how the forward cabinet was a bit uh, bare. Uh, they go with a left-handed defenseman here in Leo Luff. I guess that's how you say his name. He's got two umlauts over the O's, uh, but I think it's Luf is how you say it. Uh, he played in the Super Elite League. He played 43 games, two goals, 13 assists for 15 points. Uh, Gabriel considers them a very interesting pick at 88th overall. Um, and here is uh, here's his uh, synopsis. Quote, digging into it, this might have been a 200 IQ pick. Luf is not a high-scoring talent. He's not a Norris Trophy winner, but he's so incredibly reliable. During the 2018-19 season, Luf was named the best defenseman in Sweden's under-18 league, despite only scoring 9 points in 16 games. But his well-rounded, reliable play 
clearly drew the eye of the league. He's a smooth skating defenseman with great hands and good passing. He's also got good size, standing at six foot one. While he likely won't ever reel in a top line role, he will definitely develop into a reliable bottom four option for St. Louis. A good comparable would be fellow Swedish blue Carl Gunnarsson. Both players play a smooth, reliable two-way style of play. When the 33-year-old Gunnarsson finally hangs up his skates, Luf will be there to fill his shoes. That is a that's high praise. You know, already saying that a third round pick is going to be there to fill a bottom four role for the Blues. A lot of Gabriel has a lot of confidence in Luff, and if he is comparable to Gunnarsson, he'll probably play a game that maybe you don't notice too much, but it's just very reliable and very workmanlike. And I'll take that from a third rounder. Yeah, not every defenseman is going to be a superstar, number one defenseman that goes out there and lays the big hit or scores the big goals or anything like that. Sometimes you just need a smooth, steady, generic, I don't want to say generic, but a generic defenseman, a guy that goes out there, does his job, not flash or anything like that, just like you said, workmanlike. And that's what I've loved about Carl Gunnarsson. I know people give him trouble all the time because he's not a guy that's noticeable on the ice. But in my mind, if you're not noticeable on the ice, it means you're not making many mistakes. And... If Luf is the same way, that's great because then you've got four, five, six more years of at least one guy that's very, very steady. Absolutely. And so we, we, we had a general theme here in this draft so far, and that is, you know, kind of, you know, maybe low, lower ceiling type of a players, but players that are very reliable and, you know, kind of defensive minded. Um, for the fourth round, Armstrong deviated from that, as Gabriel fully notes out here. Uh, he says, quote, a lot of people aren't fond of him at 118th overall, but he could pan out as a total steal, maybe. Dickinson didn't play very much in the 2019-20 season. He was held back on the Sioux Greyhounds roster that was very set in their lineup, so his opportunities to improve may not have been the same as some others. But when Dickinson did play, he was explosive. His shot needs work, his passing could improve, and his defense might need a boost, but he is fast. Damn, is he fast. He also has a strong enough hockey IQ and vision enough to make him a worthwhile pick in the fourth round. So when you're getting to this point of the draft here, Wags, you know, you're, you're talking about, you know, you're pretty much at lottery ticket mode here. You know, Sammy Blay was a sixth round pick. He was a kind of a deep dive for the Blues uh, scouting department. But if you look at like the Blues roster, for instance, you'll see a lot of first rounders, a lot of second rounders. Not a whole lot beyond, you know, from the third round and beyond. And that's kind of reflective of the entire NHL. You know, scouts do a really good job nowadays finding the top talent. And, you know, every now and then there'll be someone like a Blade that slips under the radar here. Tanner Dickinson, to me, just based on Gabriel's analysis, seems like a under-the-radar guy. He was held back by his own, you know, junior team. But in the times that he played, he looked very good, which... You know, could bode well if the Blues give him a lot of time, but Wags, he sounds like a guy that would probably need a little bit of time. Oh, yeah. He's got at least three or four years of development still need to go. If you're still working on your shot and your passing, you're not seeing the NHL anytime soon. But I do like the fact that he's a guy that you could look at one day and say, wow, where'd he come from? That's, that's a boom or bust, essentially, in this instance. And while in a deep draft, making a, a fourth-round pick on a boomer bust is kind of controversial. I, I can't necessarily fault the Blues in that because they need to take some risks here and, and look at guys that could be high-end potential if 
they pan out. So I'm okay with it. Um, I'm not over the moon for him, though. Yeah. Um, and then a couple more defensemen go off the board in the fifth and seventh round for the Blues. We'll talk about them together uh, as the Hawaii Blues fan kind of alluded to. Um, you know, two guys that apparently there's some people that are high on and and think they that, that could realistically make, you know, the Blues someday. We're talking about fifth round pick Matthew Kessel. No relation to Phil, by the way. Um, don't know if he likes hot dogs as much as Phil either, but uh, we'll we'll find that out later. Uh, he uh, went to UMass, and then Noah Beck in the seventh round uh, from the U.S. Uh, Hockey League. Um, and both of these guys are very profile, very similar. In fact, I'm just going to read Gabriel's uh, assessment on Noah Beck uh, because it's pretty much almost carbon copy of each other. He says, and he leads off here, quote, am, am I being punked? There's no way the Blues, though, for this explicit case of deja vu, right? Well, let's break down Noah Beck. He's an overage defenseman who was passed up entirely in the 2019 draft. While promising, his USHL career left a lot to be desired. He's now moving to the NCAA where he'll look to round out the weekends of his play. Um, Beck was, again, entirely unranked, giving off an impression he wouldn't become the focus of any NHL team until he joined the class of college free agents in two to three years. Sound familiar? It should. This is another Matt Kessel. The two are even the same height, both standing at six foot three. I was blown away by this pick when St. Louis made it. Well, I won't say there were better options. I mean, it was the seventh round. It still feels so peculiar to have two players that are so familiar. So what do you think about Kessel and Beck, Wags? Uh, I'm, I'm right there with Foley. It's, it's the okay. So you yeah. basically drafted two guys that weren't drafted last year and still weren't ranked had disappointing USHL careers and now are in college. Maybe we'll get lucky and, and they'll be seasoned and know exactly what they want to do to progress. But taking, you know, basically using two picks on guys that teams passed on last year. I'm a little, uh, yeah, I'm a little down on that. Yeah. And that, yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. I mean, they, they, they seem like total lottery picks. You know, they, they had down years. They, they've got some issues to work out. Um, maybe they find it, but it's just like, again, we're at the point of we're, we're at lottery pick point here for, you know, lottery tickets rather for this part of the draft. And then the final pick, uh, well, actually the second to last pick, but we're going out of order here in the sixth round, the blues took a goalie in Will Cranley played in the OHL, played 21 games, had 18 wins, 18 out of 21 is pretty good. Uh, only had an 894 save percentage. He played on an Ottawa 67s team that was just ungodly good this year. They won, they won the OHL's first place spot in the playoffs by nine points over the next place team. Um, really, it, the, the goaltending wasn't the focus for the 67s this year. Cranley was the backup. He was six. He stands six foot four as an 18 year old. Uh, he's the backup, and the team's actual starter, Cedric Andre put up much better numbers in more games and went undrafted. But Gabriel Foley says it's clear what the Blues see in Cranley. He's massive. It's a size that is shared by some of the Blues' greatest goalie picks, like Ben Bishop, for instance, who was picked by Larry Plow in 2005. Uh, Jordan Binnington, uh, 6'2". And then he notes the uh, Joel Hofer, who was 6'3", and was the darling 
of last year's uh, World Juniors for Team Canada, a guy that the organization and a lot of Blues fans are very high on. Um, so it's this is again this is kind of a guy that maybe he turns out, maybe he doesn't. I don't think he has too much pressure to turn out on him because you know there's still some talent ahead of him on the on the ladder, like an Evan Fitzpatrick, a Joel Hofer, Huso, Gillies, and then of course Bennington at the top. Um, but this is a team, you know. I I, I want to give the Blues the benefit of the doubt here because the Blues have been able to do a really good job in drafting goalies, you know, over the past you know twenty years or so. I mean, they were able to find Jake Allen. Um, they found, um, you know, they were, they were, they, 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 they were high on Brent Johnson. Um, they, they do, there was a, there was a pretty good stable of goalies. It felt like for a while with Jake Allen. I remember when Jake Allen was considered like the, the number four goalie in the organization behind Ben Bishop. And then of course, you know, they went out and found Brian Elliott, you know, who was kind of a cast off. They saw something in him and he turned out great. Um, I give the Blues a lot of benefit of the doubt when it comes to the goalies here, and Will Cranley seems seems interesting, but again, he wasn't even the starter on his OHL team, so it's just kind of like I'm I'm kind of I I'm hopeful, but it's just like who knows with this guy, right? Well, and you almost have to sit there and think that you almost have to pick a goalie every year because goalies are such crapshoots in a sense. You just don't know what you're going to get out of these uh, goaltenders and. Like you said, the Blues have been lucky in a sense that they've been able to hit gold a couple of different times here. And, you know, Joel Hofer is a guy, like you said, that wowed in the Canadian team. And, and you're hoping that continues to progress and get better. Billy Huso was a guy that was very good for a few years down in the AHL. And he was the next guy. And then Bennington overtook him. And you got that. You know, Evan Fitzpatrick's a guy that should have been the next guy up. And I highly doubt he ever sees the NHL as a Blue. I, I really do. And and that's not saying he's a bad goaltender, but he's just not going to get that chance. I think that chance has passed him by. But we also said the same thing about Bennington. So you never know. Uh, I, I just think that, yeah, you, you almost have to at least every other year probably go with a goaltender. And because what you have picked recently has worked, you're going to stick to the status quo. And once again, it just goes back to they're probably trying to make the safe picks and going with what they know before moving into next year in the scouting department, whoever leads that, making those kind of out-of-the-box picks. I mean, I, I, we saw the same sort of thing when, when uh, Kekalainen left as well. Seemed like the draft after that, the Blues kind of went safe. Yeah. And this is the same sort of situation with Armstrong. So it's not surprising. The thing that was surprising to me is the fact that they didn't focus more on forward positions. They, they did draft three defensemen, and that was a little interesting to me. I thought they were going to go at yeah. least forward heavy. And when and when they did go forward, they went with you know grinder types, except for this Dickinson character. Um, you know, I you would have thought that you know the one thing that the Blues seem to be lacking, you know, in their prospect pool is high end offensive talent at this point because Cairo is if he's not on the NHL roster, something's wrong. Um, you know, Costin's not going to be too far from, him, and then there's a big drop off from there. I mean, you still have. You know, Toropchenko, you know, who looked really good in juniors, but he's been kind of slow to get going, you know, in the in the minors. Same thing with Abramov, um, you know, a couple others. But it's just like you would have thought that Armstrong would have gone for those, you know, high end, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit of high, even high risk, you know, offensive talents. And neighbors could could be a point producer, but it's just that's not going to be the main focus of his game. You know, same thing uh, with with Peterson, you know, in the third round, but time will tell. 
I mean, the, the, you know, we, we it's hard to really judge a draft at this point, you know, right, you know, just days after it's it's done, unless you're drafting like in the top 10. You know, after like the top 15 or so, you're getting into players that have one issue or another. It's just it's just the way it is. So and guys um, that also aren't going to see the ice for at least a year or two. I mean, the top 10, 15 are guys that potentially could crack the starting lineup. Outside of that, everybody else is developmental. That's why it's the entry draft. It's developmental guys that are going to go to college or through you know, the, the USHL or OHL or W, what have you. It's developmental, so you yeah. can't judge it for at least two years. Exactly, exactly. But I will say I didn't hate the draft. I, I didn't hate what the Blues did in the draft. I mean, I'm kind of... I guess I'm kind of neutral on it. I mean, I, I like the neighbors pick more than others just because, you know, I, I think he just has that potential to be a fan favorite, but time will tell on that. So um, one of just a couple of housekeeping notes here before we go here. First of all, we mentioned last week we're taking an off-season break. Um, that's not going to be the case. We, uh, we will continue through the off-season. Our episodes might be a little bit shorter. You know, just, you know, because there's not as much going on, but we might be dipping into some fun historical stuff here. We'll have an announcement for you starting uh, with the next episode. Uh, We'll probably even have some more, you know, blues news to talk about next episode as well, because, you know, free agency is still very young. There's still some decent players out there, and I think there's still some moves to be made. So uh, look for some more, you know, current blues roster analysis, but maybe we dip into our offseason content. Uh, we're also working on kind of an idea for season two. You know, we've uh, got some, you know, changes coming along that we'll, we'll, we'll tell you about just as in terms of the entire hockey podcast network. Uh, we can't say anything at the moment, um, but um, it's, it's going to be interesting, you know, going into season two and beyond. And we've gotten a fun concept that we're uh, uh, we need to work out here. Maybe the next episode we'll be able to, uh, uh, put out the proverbial bat signal for you and uh, others to uh, participate in it, but we we still need to work it out, you know, behind the scenes. So a uh, lot of fun things coming up. I'm going to have another Blue Notes question of the week here coming up after we hop off here. And uh, this week we have some shirts now available in the uh, Blue Notes uh, Teespring store. Um, and this week I think uh, we'll make it a shirt that uh, you win. We've We've given away, you know, a few masks and, and a gator, but uh, I think you'll really like uh, our shirts. And spoiler alert, Wags, you're getting one in a couple of days. Woohoo! So, yes. uh, so next week, you know, Wags will begin his prices might mo- uh, prices right modeling career, hopefully by wearing our new one of our new Blue Note shirts. We'll take a look. This is we're trying to drive, you know, as we talked about last week, Wags, we're trying to drive female engagement into this podcast. So we are going to have you as a model next week. You're trying to drive female engagement and you're using me as a model. Uh, Yes. Yes. We'll go with that. Yeah. You know, it it, it may not work. It's an idea. We're going to play with play around with it. We'll we'll see how it works. So I am single. So, you know, the, the more female involvement, the better. You hear that, ladies? He's single. Okay, you know he made that very clear. So just, just you know, uh, we're on Twitter at Blue Notes Pod, Facebook at Blue Notes Pod. Our email is bluenotespod at gmail.com. Uh, send us any inquiries you like. So, in the meantime, you know that I think that's going to do it for us this week. Wags, any final thoughts? Uh, I feel better than I did on Friday, and I'm looking forward to season two because it's going to be a whole lot of fun. 
I think it will be. It absolutely will be. And we'll actually have, and of course, not not to mention, we'll have hockey to talk about. You know, actual on-ice hockey. It does feel like a while since the Blues were eliminated from the playoffs. It feels it yeah. feels like it's been way too long. It, it has. It has. that The whole break and then the bubble and now the break again. It, I don't know if I could do that again. Yeah. No, I, I can't either. They're talking about, I think, I think the early leader is January 1st for the beginning of the year. That sounds like it might be the Winter Classic. Um, although I wouldn't be surprised if they pushed that off a year just because they want to get fans oh, yeah. in those stands. So we'll we'll see what happens there. But uh, in the meantime, I want to thank you for listening because without you, there is no me, there is no WAGS, there is no Hawaii Blues fan, and there is no Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Tom Franklin reminding you as always to not be a chump and always play to the whistle. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.